New to the living healthy lifestyle or a healthy living veteran, this is your place for honest answers. Naturally savvy with registered holistic nutritionist Andrea Donsky and health journalist Lisa Davis. Hello, everybody. It's Andrea Donsky here from Naturally Savvy. And Lisa Davis, my amazing co-host, is off today. And today we have a very interesting guest, Dr. Rachna Patel, who is a doctor who's been practicing in the area of medical marijuana for over half a decade. And she walks her patients through how to use medical marijuana for their specific medical conditions without getting high off of it, getting high off of it and without getting addicted to it and without smoking it. So very interesting guest. Welcome to the show, Dr. Patel. And I'd love to just jump right in. Sure. Thank you for having me on the show. All right, so tell us, you know, what exactly, I mean, obviously, you know, in my intro, I explained what you do, but tell us a little bit about what an important practice of medicine this is. It's important because, well, let me go into a little bit of the background as to why I'm doing what I'm doing, and, that, and that'll lend to, to answer your question. So hmm. my background's in emergency medicine, um, but what I saw as a training in the area of emergency medicine were a couple of things, a couple of cases that actually sat really heavy with me. Um, one was that I was seeing a lot of overdoses on opioid medications. Second was, was that I was seeing a lot of, of drug seekers coming into the emergency room seeking opioids. And then um, I did a rotation, a toxicology rotation, where my main purpose was to treat um, overdoses on over-the-counter and prescription medications. And, um, and so, you, I, you know, I took a step back, big picture, um, my whole purpose as a physician was to help people, but the very prescription medications that I was that I was uh, uh, writing prescriptions for, um, these patients were coming back uh, having been harmed uh, by these medications. So, um, so one of the things that I knew was that we don't have a good solution for chronic pain, um, and and that's what sort of um, uh, turned me on to, to medical marijuana. So you use the medical marijuana to, pay, to help people cope with their pain that they're experiencing in their body. And it could be any type of pain, right? It could be headache pain. It could be chronic pain. It could be a pain that they can, you know, explain a little bit about the pain itself. Sure. So specifically, it's chronic pain. And within the category of pain, the most common conditions of pain that I treat are fibromyalgia, um, arthritis, uh, back pain, uh, whether, you know, the person has a herniated disc. Uh, whether they have degenerative disc disease, a uh, wide variety of, of sort of etiologies of back pain. Um, and, then, and then what else? Migraines are another common condition that I treat as well. Um, uh, patients who have multiple sclerosis, um, I treat uh, what, what where medical marijuana works well for them is when they have spasms, um, very severe mm-hmm. spasms that cause them a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And where are you based? So if people are listening and they're like, they want to know exactly how they can contact you or how they can work with you, what can you give them some information about how to connect? Sure. So I'm, I'm based in, um, in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area out in California. Um, and currently, I'm only seeing patients locally, but um, I do put out quite a bit of information on my YouTube channel. Um, as well as my Facebook page. Um, I'm always doing Facebook Live videos there to answer okay. some, of these, some of the very commonly asked questions that I get about medical marijuana. So that's, that's one way to reach me. I think that's great. Okay, so let's go into the legalities of it. I mean, of course, we're doing an interview on medical marijuana. A question that some people might have is, you know, is, you know, 
is it legal and how does it work if your you know your state doesn't allow uh, marijuana to be used? Explain a little bit about that. Sure. So, so basically, it falls into two categories um, in terms of legalization. There are states um, that have that have legalized marijuana for recreational use, and there's eight different states that have done this. And then there are states that have legalized marijuana for medical use. So, for recreational use, basically, it's it's just like walking into a liquor store. As long as you may meet a certain minimum age requirement, um, you are free to purchase, um, you know, whatever you'd like. Um, whereas in a state where it's legalized for medical use, you do need to see a physician. The physician does need to evaluate you and then deem uh, your condition as, um, as benefiting from the use of medical marijuana. Um, and then what happens is one of two things. Um, in a state like California, you, the physician issues paperwork, and then you can just go to a dispensary and purchase the medical marijuana products. Or in most other states, what happens is that you have to submit the paperwork to the state. And then the state typically has um, a physician um, uh, that works for the state, and then um, it's basically an extra set of eyes that looks over the paperwork and okays everything, and then you get your card through the state. And this is how, how it works in the vast majority of cases. So that, that's the process in all the different different types of states that have legalized marijuana. Hmm. Now you said, you know, we said in the beginning in your intro that you don't, you help people, but they're not smoking it. So how do people, if they wanted to use medical mar- marijuana, how is it administered? A wide variety of ways. So typically I don't recommend to patients that they smoke marijuana because it is doing damage um, to your lungs in the long run, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but they have a wide variety of different options available. So there's a, um, a process of inhalation known as vaporization, and essentially mm-hmm. what this does is that it heats the plant material rather than burning it, um, so what you're avoiding is a combustion reaction um, and, and that pollution, essentially, that's created with burning something. Um, this, essentially, the vaporizer just heats whatever's in it. So the, on the plant, the chemicals are housed in resinous material. Essentially, it's an oil. And when you, when you put it in a vaporizer and you heat it up, that oil evaporates, and that's essentially what you're inhaling. So, so it is healthier um, compared to smoking marijuana. The other option is, um, are, are tinctures. Tinctures are drops mm-hmm. that you put under the tongue. So essentially, it's a liquid version of marijuana. Then there's also edibles. Um, typically, they're, they're, these are chocolates and gummies, although the, the industry has evolved enough where there are very healthy options available, like gluten-free options, sugar-free options, <laughs> um, vegan options as well. Um, and then there are topical formulations of marijuana. So basically, this is marijuana that comes in the form of, of a salve, of an ointment, and you basically apply it to the affected area. Um, then there's also vaginal and rectal formulations of marijuana as well. Those I recommend more rarely. It's always on a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. For those of us who are newer to the term or to the, you know, to the procedure or to the process, how, you know, how, how do they, are they, I guess they're taking it, but how are they not getting high from it? How is the, you know, the CBD, I guess it's the CBD removed from the, the THC removed from the CBD. Explain a little bit about what it is that they're taking to help relieve their pain, but not getting high at the same time. Sure. So there's a couple different components to this. One is based on um, the, the, the combination of chemicals that you're using uh, in the product that you purchase. So marijuana makes a whole bunch of different chemicals, but there are two that it makes in high concentrations, THC and CBD. 
And of the two, THC is a psychoactive compound. So as you can imagine, if you use a product that's really, really high in THC um, and you use it in excess amounts, it will, um, it will give you a psychoactive effect. It will get you high. So, so one is, is a combination of chemicals. And like I mentioned, if you use excess amounts, so the other part of it is, is that every medication, just in general, has a sub-therapeutic range. Okay, that's, that's a dosing, um, uh, that's a dose that you're taking that's not um, effective. Um, then there's a toxic range, right, where the dose that you're taking is causing you now adverse effects. And then there's a therapeutic range, and that's typically where you want to fall, fall, where you're getting the medical benefits, but you're not getting the side effects. And what we've seen um, is that we've seen that marijuana be, be used uh, recreationally, and typically that a lot of that involves overuse. So you fall within that toxic range of dosing, and that's when you're likely to get side effects from the marijuana, like, like the high, for example. So, so a couple different components that, that factor into it. Hmm. Now, is this safe for children as well, or is there a specific age group that you help people with? So I have um, treated children as young as six uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One, um, our, our group of uh, patients who have epilepsy, and they're, they're getting seizures mm-hmm. so often um, that, th- that they're on prescription medications and th- that you know, pretty much sedate them, and that's the only way to avoid um, having these seizures. And then the second group of patients, um, young patients that I treat, are those with autism, because a big component of autism is anxiety. Um, Typically with these patients, um, one of the behaviors uh, that that manifests is um, you need to have a certain routine. And if if you break from that routine, it, it causes these patients a lot of anxiety. So that's the aspect of autism that I that I that I'm treating. Um, you know, a lot of it is is being very careful about teaching parents how to dose the marijuana, how to watch for mm-hmm. side effects of the marijuana as well. Um, so there's a, there's a big component of that 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 factors into it as well. What are some of those side effects? Side effects um, can include um, uh, dizziness, heart racing. Um, uh, paranoia, anxiety, um, and then um, grogginess or feeling feeling fatigued, feeling tired. And again, this is typically if you're if you're overdoing it. And is that because of too much CBD? So it depends. So the side effects of grogginess and fatigue are are typically attributed to the CBD. The side effects mm-hmm. of dizziness heart racing, paranoia, and anxiety are typically attributed to the THC. So it just depends which chemical you're overdoing. Hmm. And, you know, when you're working with these patients, you find that they see a huge improvement? Or is it, I guess you talked about, I've seen, you know, the reports on children with epilepsy. And so what is it in the CBD and the small amounts of THC that's actually helping to curb their symptoms? So are you talking about specifically patients with epilepsy? No, just in general. So, yeah, definitely, you know, oh, epilepsy, general. the children with autism, but just in general. I mean, we know we talk about pain, but, you know, let's say, let's talk about the epilepsy for a second, and then we can move on to some of the other ones. Sure. So, typically with epilepsy, it's the CBD that helps. Um, and here's the thing. When it comes to what it's actually doing in the body, we don't have um, okay. uh, much research on it. Um, but okay. clinically, what I've seen is that it does a couple of things with seizures. Um, one is that it reduces the duration of the seizures. Second is that it reduces the frequency of the seizures. So 
what happens is that when you when you reduce the duration and the frequency of the seizures, there's a greater period of time in between where patients are able to interact um, uh, in a normal way with their environment, which is very important to the development of a child. Um, what, what happens with prescription medications is that um, a lot of these medications for seizures are very sedating. And so though these patients may not be having seizures, you know, in between, they're spending a lot of their, their day sleeping, they're groggy, they're tired, so they're not interacting, um, um, you know, in, in a normal way with their environment, and that can then impact their development. Now, in general, like, for instance, let's take chronic pain. What I've seen is that a couple things. Um, I've seen um, patients be able to come off of their prescription medications completely. Um, wow. Second scenario is, is that they still continue to take their prescription medications, but they're on fewer prescription medications, or they've been able to significantly reduce the dosages of these prescription medications. So those are, those are the, the two of the best-case scenarios. And then third-case scenario is that they, they, they're taking the same number of prescri- prescription medications, same dosages and whatnot, but the medical marijuana is to reduce their pain even more. Um, if, you know, anxiety is another very common condition that I treat. Uh, what mm-hmm. typically the results that I see in these patients is that it helps to reduce the panic attacks that, that patients are having. In my best-case scenarios, patients report that, you know, it helps to, to eliminate the panic attack completely. Um, and an example of this um, are patients that um, that ha- are experiencing PTSD, especially patients that are, that are veterans. Um, one of the components of adjusting back to civilian life is, no longer um, having to be hypervigilant, but they find themselves, when they're, especially when they're in large crowds, um, uh, feeling really hypervigilant. So it's really difficult for them to be in large crowds. And a lot of times they end up, you know, sort of self-isolating themselves. Um, so, so with this patient population specifically, what I hear is that, you know, I, I'm able to be more comfortable um, in, in crowds without having that feeling of, of being um, uh, hypervigilant. Um, and then the other most common condition that I treat is insomnia. And typically with these patients, what I find is that they report back to me that they're able to fall asleep easily. Uh, a lot of times patients will say that they're, you know, as soon as they get into bed, their mind starts to race and they can't shut it down. So it helps with that aspect. Then, um, then patients are able to stay asleep and then specifically the patients that, that wake up frequently during the night, you know, for whatever reason, um, they find that they're able to fall back asleep easily. Um, and the main Which difference between the prescription medications and the marijuana is that patients are able to, to wake up feeling refreshed as opposed to feeling, uh, you know, groggy or have or that, you know, that quote-unquote hungover feeling. I wonder if it's working on people's adrenal glands, especially when it comes to anxiety, because we know that, you know, if you have trouble sleeping or if you're waking up in the middle of the night and you can't fall back asleep, a lot of it has to do with the stress, you know, or overstressed adrenal glands. So would it have some type of positive effect on our adrenal glands? Um, You know, I'm not certain. Um, I know that it is, um, when it comes to anxiety, it does work in um, the serotonin pathway. Um, There's this, receptor called 5-HT1A, I think that's the name of it, that's the main receptor that it interacts with to to help to reduce anxiety. 
Uh, but again, there's a lot more that we need to know. But mm. as far as I know, the research shows that it's through, through the serotonin pathway that it helps with anxiety. Now, one of the things that people might be thinking is, is this something that I would become addicted to? So what, you know, you're telling, you're, you know, you're saying that it helps people sleep and it's, you know, do, doing all these wonderful things. Is it something that people can easily go off of or is it something that they might need long term? Sure. So big picture is, is that it all depends on how you're using the marijuana. And I like to liken it to alcohol use. So if you're someone that, that drinks wine on a nightly basis, um, versus someone who, who has, you know, like a case of beer a night, then um, you're more likely to get addicted to the case of beer versus a glass of wine a night, right? Um, and so, so heavy users are, are with, when it comes to marijuana, heavy users are more likely to get addicted. Um, and research has shown that in heavy users, and these are users that admitted to using marijuana specifically to get high, um, okay. the, 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 the proportion of people that, that became addicted was 9%. Now, it is a lot less than alcohol. Um, and even tobacco, the number for alcohol is 14%, where, whereas the number for tobacco hmm. is, is about 24%. Wow. So, so even in heavy users, uh, there is a small likelihood of addiction, yes. But again, it comes down to how you use it. And what I found clinically, when, when patients are using it specifically for medical reasons, they typically only need to use it about once in a day, and they don't need to use it on an everyday basis. And, and there's a scientific reason behind this, which is that marijuana gets it's fat-soluble. Mm-hmm. It gets so stored in, in the fat cells in your mm-hmm. body, right? So, so even on the days you're not taking it, at, you know, essentially as you're bringing off your fat cells, the chemicals are still getting released, and it's still helping you. So for some people, they could take it, you know, once every few days kind of thing, and it would still work. Yep. Yep, exactly. Oh, interesting. So what type of criticism do you, do you come in contact with, if any? Um, you know, I over the years, I've been encountering less and less criticism. So as an example, when I first opened up my practice, um, one of the things that you do when you've started a practice is that you go around and introduce your practice to other physicians in the area. And I could not get past the office manager. Um, <laughs> no, you know, people were not open to it. And I opened up my practice a couple years ago, 2014, but, you know, in, in a span of two to three years, a lot has changed. Now the interesting thing is that I now get referrals from physicians. Sometimes mm-hmm. I haven't Great. even met these, uh, these physicians, um, and yet they're still referring to me. Um, and I think a lot of it also has to do with the fact that I've also um, uh, uh, put it over the past, the course of the past year, I've been putting out a lot of information. A lot of it is research-based. Um, on my YouTube channel, on my blog. So I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as well. Um, but other than that, um, you know, I personally have not, not faced uh, a, a lot of criticism. Um, patients are really appreciative of what I do. Um, there are certainly other physicians that are appreciative of what I do because, you know, they're working um, in a system that, you know, even though they'd like to, it doesn't allow them to... to um, um, uh, create the documentation for patients. Hmm. And do people have to go through a medical doctor to, could any medical doctor prescribe it, or does it, they have to go to someone like yourself who specializes in it? So the, basically what the, the rules and regulations state is that any physician that's licensed to practice in the state of California can um, issue a what's called a recommendation. Um, hmm. But that doesn't always happen, especially in systems 
that if physicians are working for systems where there's, they're receiving federal funding, because that's in direct conflict with uh, what's stated in the Controlled Substances Act, which says that marijuana is a class one substance. Physicians right. cannot issue a, a prescription for it. So a lot of times that's the reason why physicians are referring to me, because they themselves are, are you know, from, from a place of employment are prohibited from issuing the recommendation, um, so they, they'll refer over to me. So before we end, what would you say, are there any questions that you commonly get, one or two questions that you feel you want to share with our audience that maybe I haven't covered today? Yeah. So one of the things is is that I always get patients um, telling me that, you know, I want to use the medical marijuana, but I'm not looking to to gain weight, right? So these are patients that may have used the marijuana back in high school and college, and they may have have experienced what are called the munchies. So... Mm. Right. Again, a lot of this has to do with the combination of chemicals that, that, you, mm-hmm. that you select um, and um, how much of it you're using. So the main chemical that stimulates appetite is THC. So if you overdo um, the THC, <clears throat> then you are likely to, to, to experience that stimulation in, in appetite. Now, for, for most patients, it's, it's an undesired side effect. But for a lot of patients, for instance, that are undergoing um, chemotherapy, where their appetite gets very, very suppressed, it's actually advantageous to have that stimulation mm-hmm. in appetite. So that's, that's one of the common concerns. We, we address uh, the addiction part of it. We address um, not wanting to smoke marijuana. Um, uh, let's see. Those are sort of the, the main concerns that, that come up when patients come to see me. And if people want to learn more about you, do you have a website they can go to or social media handles that they can find you at? Sure. So my website, which is www.doctor, which is abbreviated D-R, Rachna, R-A-C-H-N-A, Patel, P-A-T-E-L.com. And then um, listeners can also uh, reach me through, through my YouTube channel. And if you just Google YouTube, the medical marijuana expert, um, I'm always putting up videos on there to answer commonly asked questions, uh, and I always encourage viewers to, to post their questions in the comments section, uh, and I do eventually get to, to answering them. Um, same with my Facebook page. Every one to two weeks, I do a Facebook Live video, again, answering right. commonly asked questions. So that's another way to, to get more information from me as well. Thank you, Dr. Patel. I think it's very interesting. And I do want to, before we leave, I just want to thank today's sponsor. It's Maddie's Healthy Products in order to, in order for their sponsoring us so that we can have shows and amazing guests like you talk about <clears throat> important topics. So thank you, Maddie's Healthy Products, for being Naturally Savvy's sponsor today. Well, Dr. Patel, thank you so much. This has been really interesting and very eye-opening for me. And uh, we will be sharing this with everybody. So thank you for being a guest on our show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm Andrea Donsky, along with Lisa Davis, who isn't here today, but she'll be back next time. And you're listening to Naturally Savvy Radio. Like us on all social media at Naturally Savvy, at Andrea Donsky, at Radio MD, and at Health Media Gal 1. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stay well.